And you think, oh, you know, in the scheme of life, this is nothing. We've all had those days, right, where we feel tired and crappy, where our health just hasn't been right. Maybe you've even consulted Dr Google and either panicked or laughed or both when it spat out a cancer diagnosis. But what if that diagnosis was actually right and your whole life was flipped upside down in an instant? You have a shower and cry harder than you've ever cried before. You think you might break in two. You don't try to understand. You just accept the roller coaster you're on. Mamma Mia's Bryony Benjamin was 30 years old. She was riding high in her career, interviewing celebrities, producing hilarious viral videos, thinking she had her whole life ahead of her. When, after feeling pretty crap for a while and just brushing it off, she received some crushing news. You know, when I think back on it, my body was sending me all the warning signs that something wasn't right, but I didn't yet know how to trust that. This conversation is about how to rise to the challenge when things go pear-shaped and how not all storms come to disrupt your life, some come to clear your path. Figure out what's truly important in life for grabbing onto the joy and gaining the confidence to bounce back from the lows. I'm Katrina Blowers and this is Claiming Your Confidence. So for those who don't know you, how would you describe what you do? Because your job didn't even exist, what, 10, 15 years ago? Totally. Yeah. So I'm a digital video producer. Uh, I call myself a video mischief maker. Uh, But yeah, I've spent the last little bit of time writing and and looking at other ways to bring stories to life. So, I mean, I, I, I suppose I would just call myself a storyteller and I do it in lots of different mediums. You're also really, really funny. Uh, oh. Have you always, have you always kind of incorporated humour into your storytelling? Oh well, I just always think there's this famous quote. It's sometimes, uh, and it just says, "If you want to tell them the truth, make them laugh, or they will kill you." And I just always, that always just is at the front of my mind when I'm making something, particularly for a lot of the causes that I'm really passionate about. And I work with a lot of environmental organisations and groups that work in the climate space and um, ocean and all sorts of things and I just think we're we're all so exhausted and overwhelmed by some of these big issues aren't we and if you can't do it with a bit of humor it's just it's just too much. (laughs) What bit of content have you made that's resonated the most and has gone the most viral? Well funny you should ask so the the most viral thing I've ever made is this very important video it was about the deadly killer known as man flu I don't know if you've ever seen I've it. I've seen that. I, I don't know if it. you've ever seen man flu, witnessed it in the real. But oh, anyway, I've seen that too. Yeah. This video, and it was so, because what I love about making content on social media is you can see everywhere it goes in the world and we could just see it sweep through Brazil and all through America and, you know, seeing all the different places in the world that it went. So obviously women all over the world could really relate to that. <laughs> uh, and then, and then the second most viral piece is the a video I'm really proud of. It was called If a Man Lived Like a Woman for a Day. 
And basically we crowdsource from our audience. What are all the things that happen to you every day that men might not know about? And we put them all into a video of a man experiencing oh, wow. all these things. Yeah. And it ended up on International Women's Day two years ago. It went viral and it's done 40 million views, traveled all around the world. And, you know, women were sharing it and saying, yes, this is what happens to me every day. This is my experience, you know, be that harassment on the way walking to work or be it just, you know, actually it was really interesting. The male actor that played it, the opening scene is him pulling his spanks up. And when the video went out, because it was quite an eye-catching thing to see a man putting spanks on, his sister called him and said, you know, I've worn spanks, you know, for 10 years and, and he had no idea. So it really was this oh. sort of secret women's business, um, you know, the things that they don't realise that, that we feel we need to do or, or need to do to feel good. So, yes. I love that. I love that. Now, your latest offering to the world is your beautiful book, which actually recounts one of the toughest periods of your life, which I'm so thrilled to see that you've made it through the other side. Um, it's called Life is Tough, But So Are You. And it take us back in time, Bryony, to when I guess you were you were living your dream. You were, you know, 31 years old. You were in your dream job as EP of video at um, the digital platform Mamma Mia. But the one thing that you couldn't put your finger on was that you were just so effing tired all the time. <laughs> yeah, I just felt awful, you know, and I I was having night sweats on and off at nighttime. So I'd wake up and feel quite damp and then it was getting worse and worse. So night after night I was having these night sweats and I would wake up dripping and have to change my pyjamas and I just kept getting told. I went to, you know, many different doctors, many different specialists and I just kept getting dead, dead, you know, dead ends and no answers and um, I think, you know, when I think back on it, my body was sending me all the warning signs that something wasn't right but I didn't yet know how to trust that. I was more inclined to trust the people around me, you know, and your medical professionals that are telling you you're fine and you maybe just need to rest more and your job's stressful. But I've since spoken to a lot of young women who have been diagnosed with cancer and they had the same experience. It was ascribed maybe to mental health symptoms or, you know, that they just needed to rest, they were just stressed. And we know that the, the data actually shows us women take a lot longer to get diagnosed than men. Um, so there's something really in that, that idea of, really needing to know and trust your own body. But yeah, so that's what was happening mm. to me at that time. And I just, I just really had gotten to the point where I thought, maybe this is what being an adult feels like, you know, you just mm. are tired all the time. Maybe I, my youthful <laughs> part of at my 31. life is over. Yeah, <laughs> youth. yeah. And especially like the night sweats, you could put those down to hormones. Um, what is it with the night sweats? I didn't realise that that was perhaps symptomatic of, of cancer. Yeah, so it's a really big warning sign for lymphomas and a lot of cancers. So, you know, and, and I don't want to alarm people because, yes, it can be hormonal sometimes with women, but, but mine were very severe and I was having them night after night. So when I... Um, uh, since what I've learned, my best friend, she's a doctor, and she said, oh, night sweats, we call those a red flag in the medical community, meaning that if you've got them, you need to investigate why you're having them. Yeah. Um, whereas my, yeah, my doctor at the time, really lovely woman, just wasn't that alarmed by them. And so yeah. um, that was the sort of key thing that was really missed early on. So what did it take for you to get that diagnosis? 
Yes. Well, I, it was actually my parents. <laughs> they, my mum was really concerned that I was having night sweats. She'd actually lost a beautiful family friend to lymphoma five years before. So she was clued on to the fact that night sweats was alarming. And my dad's actually a vet. <laughs> so, uh, you know, having a, that medical knowledge in the family was really fantastic. And they ended up calling my GP and saying, we're really concerned, uh, you know, and we wanted her to get referred to a specialist hematologist because we have concerns that maybe this could be lymphoma. So luckily for me, uh, they were really persistent and I was there going, oh, guys, don't worry, like you're, you're overstressing. Uh, but they were they were spot on. You talk about the moment that you were told and one of the first things that came into your mind is, am I going to lose my hair? I think that would probably be one of my first thoughts as well because you're 31 and this stuff is important. It's important at any age, but it's kind of like, you know, you, you strip me back, you give me this bad news, but how is this going to physically manifest for me as well, right? Totally. And I think for a lot of women that are dealing with cancer um, or other medical conditions, you know, your hair is, it does bring you a lot of confidence, right? Um, mm. And it's such a big part of our look and our identity and how we show up in the world. And so the thought of having that sort of stripped right back and, and removed and, and knowing that visually I would look very, very different then and it would be very clear to the world that I was quite unwell um, was, was really sad really and yeah really scary yeah it was one yeah. of the hardest parts of the whole process for sure going through that experience and you also talk about how life just changed so much in an instant you know you had woken up that morning thinking about all the million and one things that you had to get done and you had it planned down to the nth degree and then how suddenly none of that stuff was important anymore and you said that you wrote down three things that mattered instantly connecting with your favorite people on earth how many days I had left on the planet and doing something important with that time oh, it's just heartbreaking that you had to so quickly encapsulate kind of your purpose on on the planet in in that very short period of time yeah it's the ultimate um perspective dose isn't it when you are just faced with your own mortality and and not being clear yet will I make it will I be here by next Christmas because I got diagnosed just before Christmas started chemo a few days before Christmas <sighs> and yeah it's just the most incredible filter for who matters what matters and getting really laser clear about what you want to do now. And, you know, I think finding that power that often as women we don't feel we can tap into, which is asking for what you need, wanting the people around you that you want around you and being really clear about that. And I think for some people going through a crisis or an experience, it's still hard to ask for. But to me, yeah, it sort of gives you this ultimate permission that we always have to ask for what you really want and need. Did you go through a stage of getting angry, you know, at the universe or whoever, you know, like, why me? And also, I'm freaking 31. This sucks. This is unfair. Yeah. You know, I, I honestly can say I never did. It was certainly a shock. I was certainly blown away by the news and wished that we had caught it earlier because by the time I was diagnosed, it was stage four. And so that meant it had spread out of my lymph glands, it was in my bones, and I knew then we'd have to do a more aggressive chemotherapy, which has all sorts of impl implications on health and fertility. But I never actually was angry, and I was never angry at my doctors that had missed it. 
it just wasn't an emotion I had. And I think there was just such this big looming task of having to start IVF, go through chemotherapy, that my sort of focus and energy was on that. And in a way, I didn't really want to waste energy worrying about why and how long and all these sort of things. Um, And it was an interesting concept I came across recently, actually, this guy who trains fighter pilots. And they train fighter pilots to, to say that if something goes wrong when you're in the air, every millisecond that you spend trying to work out what's happened or why or what you did wrong, you're basically closer to death. <laughs> like, wow. you know, and I just thought it was such a good analogy for when a crisis happens, like you've just got to get on with it and face yeah. it. Wasting all this energy really doesn't help you face the task ahead. Yeah, yeah. Overthinking, you know, how did this happen and why did this happen and beating up on yourself. That's that's such a poignant way of putting it. I love mm. that. <laughs> um, you, you also write that um, for other people who might be reading the book that, you know, haven't gone through cancer but maybe have gone through something else pretty major in their life, whatever that is, uh, this setback hasn't been sent to you, quote unquote, because you're one of the strong ones or it's happened for a reason. It's sometimes just crappy bad luck. <laughs> Absolutely. And I I think, you know, people do want to jump in and say those sort of things at a time to thinking it's helpful, but it's often just not, you know, no one gets cancer for a reason. No one loses the love of their life for a reason or someone who's very important to them. Um, You know, and yeah, I I don't agree that they only send it to the strong ones. I also think, wouldn't that just be so unfair? (laughs) You know, Mm, oh, she's strong. Yeah, we'll send it (laughs) Katrina's way, you know. Um, I I just think, yeah, it's just chaos theory. It's unfortunate. And so, yeah, you just got to buckle down and brace it and, and do what you can. Yeah, yeah. So going through IVF, something that you probably never even entertained in your mind, and I'm imagining, you know, the friends I've had who've gone through IVF, they've found that on its own pretty tough, let alone going through chemo as well and and having huge question marks over your own mortality. What was that like? Was that just a crazy roller coaster? It was. It was a total roller coaster, and I think it's that – that thing, isn't it, that you can, you just have to make a lot of decisions quite quickly. And I think something after the fact that I really sort of beat myself up for some of the decisions I've made around, you know, freezing eggs or making embryos, all these decisions you just have to make quite quickly. Mm. But I've sort of found peace with that now and thought, you know, I did the very best that I could do at that time. I made the best decision that I could based on all the information I had and then just sort of release yourself from from any guilt or feelings around it but yeah no I I felt very fortunate that I had time to do IVF and I felt incredibly fortunate to live in a country where they if you're going through cancer you know they they hugely subsidize it and help you through it so it, it comes down to about a tenth of the cost otherwise so I just thought how lucky that I get to do this I love your take on silver linings and um, we'll get to that in a moment because you have such a beautiful way of looking at that. Um, Getting back to, you know, you don't have to necessarily understand why this has happened, but you actually do need to accept it in order to move forward. How did you, how did you process that? How did you go from very quickly living one kind of life to finding yourself living another? Yeah, I, You know, a good friend of mine who had been through a really serious mental breakdown herself, actually, she sent me a little hand-drawn quote in those first few days and it just said, some things don't have to be understood, just accepted. 
and she suggested that I, you know, sit in the dark, light a candle and just take some time to process that, have a cry (laughs) and find the way that I could to accept that. And it was just an incredibly helpful concept that I hadn't thought of before. And so it's something I write about in the book because really, you know, this book is just the collection of all the little gems I learned along the way that really helped me through this almighty experience. And yeah, for me, I did do that and I just sat with it and realized that, you know, I've always been a very bubbly, positive person. And I was like, I'm going to be so positive and I'm just going to positive my way through this experience. and I'm going to be the most positive cancer patient ever. And I realized how supremely unhelpful that was pretty early on. Mm. And so just knowing that you could just sit with those feelings Mm. and let yourself feel how you are feeling you know, and ask for what you need and get the support around you, but you don't actually have to be the world's most positive person as you go through this. You just have to feel how you feel. Absolutely. That's something that I've only recently kind of come to terms with myself. And I think there's a big difference with sitting with your feelings and acknowledging them and also wallowing in them. And I don't think that's what we're talking about. You know, don't wallow. I kind of think you need to almost give yourself some time and space to feel the feelings and open your heart to accepting that that's how you feel instead of denying it or sweeping it under the carpet. But then I think there also comes a time where you go, okay, <laughs> that's, that's enough now. Don't Absolutely. you think? How did you do that? Oh, yeah. And it is that fine balance, isn't it? I, I saw a psychologist in the first few days of my diagnosis and she said, I just want you to know, you don't have to enjoy a single part of this process. You can lie on the couch all day and cry if you like but you've got to get up at the end of the day and I thought Love that was her. A just, yeah it was a really good like being given that permission slip to be able to sit and cry and and feel sorry for myself but there's a limit to it you know and yeah. I think you know definitely I, I think enlisting the support of a psychologist uh, in any kind of difficult time is a must I um, got quite scared off after a bad experience with someone that I saw who just made me feel very sad because she was very, had a very confrontational approach. So, and I think I still, even with what I was going through, I wanted to prove to everyone I was tough and, and could do it without the help of a psychologist. And I just say to everyone now, I'm like, please don't be like me. <laughs> just, you know, <laughs> but if someone has, has guided hundreds and hundreds of people through literally the same thing that you're going through, like they're going to have something, even if you just take a few things away from that. And that was something I took away that was incredibly helpful. But I love what you just said then, like backing yourself enough to know that um, what might have worked for one person and, and one psychologist might not be for you. And just because they're a psychologist and have done all of that training and have the letters next to their name, maybe they're not for you and you've got to be confident enough to go, nah, your approach is actually not gelling with me. Totally. And it's the biggest thing with therapy or counselling. They say it's actually so much more. It's not about the content. It's about the connection. You have that person. So don't be afraid to try multiple people. You don't owe anyone anything. I know, I know I've done a few sessions with someone because I was like, oh, they they seem to have a plan and I should go along with them, but they're making me feel quite uncomfortable. You know, you've just got to pull the, pull the parachute and uh, get out of there and find someone that you click with. Actually, there's an amazing book. I don't know if you've read it. It's called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. It's by Laurie Gottlieb. Have you read it? No, this sounds great. It is so amazing. So she is a therapist in the United States and she 
finds herself in a very bad breakup situation and in need of therapy herself. And it's all about her therapy journey from the perspective of being a therapist and kind of knowing what's behind the curtain and knowing all the approaches that they're using on her, but how different it is to be the patient as opposed to the therapist. It's it's such a funny, I think you'd love it. I think you should oh, read it. I will, it's a I will. Fabulous that book. sounds right up my alley. <laughs> I'm Katrina Blowers and you're listening to Bryony Benjamin on Claiming Your Confidence. Coming up, Bryony is going to give us her top confidence tip. A lot of people who go through experiences like this radically change their lives and suddenly, you know, have epiphanies where they see what's really important. Did you do any big changes or did it kind of just kind of gently show you that you were already on the right track with the things that were important to you in your life? Yeah, I think for me it was really the latter of that. So it was more about I describe it as sort of coming home to myself. You know, we get so busy and so caught up following these career paths and doing various jobs and all these things that we think are important. And just to have that time to sit and reflect and, you know, be really shaken up and have that wake up call. Um, I think it was more about coming home and, and rediscovering what I already sort of knew um, and what I already knew was important, but had sort of forgotten about or lost track of. Wow. So, yeah. That's a gift actually, isn't it? Yeah, it's a pretty amazing outcome from it actually. And like for me specifically, I've always since I was a little girl, I've been passionate about the environment. Like, you know, down to I remember grade 3, I went and I was the shyest little kid and I went and and spoke to my headmaster about having a tree planting day for our school. And you know, it's it's interesting like those things in me that I've cared so much about over the years, it's really brought me back to those because I think, you know, our health and the health of our planet, they're just so intertwined and, and having that real, real health crisis wake up gets you to think about everything being in balance and being mm. looked after. Yeah. Mm. So you did, you did end up losing your hair and you um, documented a lot of your journey on social media, which was, I, I was watching it just in awe of you. Uh, what was that like going out and about for the first time when you did first lose your hair or had you already kind of come to terms with it by the time that that had happened? No, I definitely, um, I got a wig, which was a really great thing to have actually. And mum had done some research to find, and she'd said that it can, you know, reduce anxiety if you know you've got it there as an option. So for some women, I know they just rock it from day one and they're like, yep, this is me. For me, I wasn't ready to do that. And even when people came over to visit, I'd want to put a headscarf on and some earrings and makeup just to feel a bit more in control of what was happening. But, yeah, it's interesting. I found a video the other day that I had recorded maybe two weeks into having a shaved head and I'd lost my eyebrows at this point and, and my eyelashes and I remember just recording this video saying, I've just hit this point where I look in the mirror and I'm really okay with what I see rather than being, because it's unnerving initially, of course, you look completely different to how you've mm. ever looked and you don't recognise yourself. Mm. Uh, but I just hit this point of going, yeah, I actually feel fine about it now. I mean, I still liked to 
put a wig on when I went out in public because for me I didn't actually want to draw attention to the fact Mm. that I didn't want to have conversations about it with people. I didn't want people looking at me and thinking, oh, is she going through cancer or is she shaved her head? And I just... I just wanted to be a bit invisible. So for me to be able to whack a, whack a wig on and a hat was really great. And the wigs these days are so great. That was something else I hadn't realised because I think in our head you think of costume wigs and they're quite, you know, tacky, but, like, it was better than my re- real hair. It was like my real hair but blow-dried. I was like, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> my sister one day, she's like, I know this is really bad to say, but I've just, like, washed, dried and straightened my hair and you did that in, like, 30 seconds and it just looks so much better. <laughs> Thanks. That is some small comfort. There has to be an upside to wearing the wig. I imagine it would be quite itchy and hot on your head though, right? Yeah, look, it wasn't too bad actually. It wasn't too bad. So uh, I think it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the height of um, summer when I was wearing it. That might be a bit trickier, Queensland summer, but yeah. (laughs) So we were talking before about people having conversations with you and you mentioned this in the book about what to say and what not to say when people are going through really hard times, whether it be what you've been through or they've lost someone so close to them. And I know I've had friends lose partners and you do struggle initially with knowing what is the right thing to say because you don't want to you don't want to upset that person even further and you feel you want them to know how much you care. But oh, it's but it's then you tough, also don't want to make it about yourself. Yes. It's hard. You don't want to put your foot in it. So you've got some very helpful suggestions. Let's start with what not to say. What don't you say to people? What yeah. were the worst things that people said? <laughs> well, look, I was I was actually incredibly fortunate. I only had a few of these things, but these were stories that I've collected from other people around me that have been through crisis. Uh, you know, the classic ones of, oh, well, um, you know, this is all in God's plan. Um, that's supremely unhelpful. Yes. <laughs> For starters, you know, you have to acknowledge that the person may not have a religious view. If you mm-hmm. do, great, but they may not. And they might be a bit angry at God right now. So <laughs> that, that's okay. I love there's a, there's actually a fellow lymphoma survivor Emily McDowell, she has an amazing Instagram page and she makes these cards. They're called empathy cards. And one of her empathy cards said, if this is God's plan, God is a really terrible planner. No offence, God. (laughs) You did great with the waterfalls and the pandas. And I thought that summed it up really well. That's awesome, yeah. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, don't don't tell people um, that they only send it to the strong ones. Don't Mm. tell them that all things happen for a reason. Once again, that's a real classic one people use. There's nothing more frustrating when you've just been given a cancer diagnosis or you've just lost someone that you love or or had a miscarriage. Yeah, to be told it happens for a reason. I yeah. mean, that's just so, it's just such an awful thing to say. It's so dismissive mm. of the pain someone might be in. Um, yeah. And I think the other thing as humans, we like to, we think it's helpful to jump into fix it mode and give yeah. people all the things they should do. Um, and the reality is, unless you have been there and done that, like, how do you know what to say? You really don't. So I, yes. I, I do say really don't try and give advice to people. Um, and, you know, another one that I say as well is don't just tell people, oh, well, it'll be okay, it'll be okay. I mean, there might be a, a gentle way that you can say, look, I really know that you've got what it takes to face this and, and you're going to come come through this and come out the other side. But I think if you really don't know that it's going to be okay, it can feel like, a, once again, a very dismissive thing to say. Yeah. And that person's just going to lose trust in in what you say. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what were some of the good things and what can people say that are going to help? Yeah, well, I think acknowledging that you may get it wrong is is really important as (laughs) well because everyone is different, right? So what works for some person, some people will just not work for the next person. Mm. Um, For me, I... As the person going through the crisis, I sort of set the framework for a lot of my friends. Um, I sort of straight up said, look, I'm happy to talk about this, this and this, but I, I don't want to talk about that yet. Yep. Or, you know, and when I reached out to some some other young people that had been through cancer, I would say to them, I'd just love to have a chat with you right now, but I don't want to talk about chemo and I don't want to hear about losing your hair. You know, so I think as the person in the crisis, if you can set some ground rules, mm. it's great. If you don't feel like you can do that, that's fine as well. But I think uh, for me, I didn't want people tiptoeing around me and not being sure what to ask. So I just mm. wanted to try and communicate what I needed to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think also it's just always really important to say something, to acknowledge what has yes. happened. You know, like, I, and once again, I only had a handful of people that never acknowledged it, but you, you, you never forget it because, you know, you might, you've just come back from chemo, you've got no hair and um, you might see someone and they, they don't even say anything. Like they just talk, you know, talk, they're obviously awkward. So they, they talk about it like it doesn't matter. But I think <sighs> even, even if you just say something as simple as I'm so sorry for what you've had to go through, or, you know, I've been watching from a distance and sending you love and, and I'm really, um, so, so glad you're through this first phase or yeah, you know, whatever it yeah. might be. And I think people that maybe haven't done, done anything earlier on or said anything, then they get awkward so then it's been too long so then they don't want to say anything but I think it's still always better late than never just you know at least you you know like when these few people that didn't say anything to me after the fact what I would have loved to have heard them say was look I'm sorry I wasn't in touch but I want to say I'm so um sorry for what you've had to go through like something as simple as that I love that it's never too late Um, because I think I have maybe been guilty of that in the past of possibly not reaching out enough because I've just haven't known how and yes you don't you don't want to make a bad situation worse and you also think to yourself well what could I possibly say or do that's going to make this person's life better right now so I might just give them space but as you said you'd probably rather someone reach out and even just acknowledge that than to not pick up the phone or not not say anything at all. Totally. And for me, hearing from people that I hadn't seen in years or that I, you know, might've gone to school with, or, you know, for me, I didn't think, well, you haven't been around in my life. Like, what are you getting involved now? Like, I was really touched by random things of kindness that came from, from yeah. anywhere else, you know? And I think most people, when they're going through a crisis, like not everyone, I can't speak for everyone, but there are very few people that are not going to want to know that people are thinking of them and care about them and want them to get through what they're going through. Yeah. All right. Let's talk now about the moment you found out you were in remission. How did that all unfold? Yeah. So I went in to get my scan results back and was had had a really tough night the night before actually had been up all night and was in a lot of pain and was um, just feeling quite ghastly. And I remember my mum had actually slept in my room that night because she was so worried about me and the pain that I was in. And she said to me after that she just went in that morning so with such a heavy heart because she thought, oh, this chemo has not even touched the sides of this cancer. And uh, got in to see my specialist, sat down in her room with my family and she said, so you're in remission. And 
I didn't even really grasp what that word meant at that time, not being very cancer literate. And I said, sorry, what does that mean exactly? And she said, it means we can't see the cancer in your body. Um, Wow. Yeah, it was just the most extraordinary moment. And then she showed me my scan beside my initial scan that was the one riddled in cancer and now this clear scan with no cancer in it. And it made me realise they had never actually shown me the first scan, which I think was strategic. And I'm really glad that I hadn't seen it because when I saw it, I went, oh, wow, that is, it's everywhere, you know. So I think in a way less information was better. Um, Yeah, and my family and I, we all went outside the hospital and we just bear hugged and we all just started sobbing, like my mum, my dad, my sister. It was just such a release of this, this pressure. It was just the most amazing day. Oh my gosh, incredible. All right, and where are you at right now with your health? So do you have to go back every six months? Yeah, so I go back every six months and see my specialist and get my bloods done. And, yeah, I've been struggling a lot with fatigue post the chemo. Yeah. Uh, So I'm three years in remission now. And, yeah, it's look, it's it's an ongoing um, struggle for me in terms of learning how to pace myself and go at a slower pace. So, yeah, after, you know, like a lovely conversation like this, for example, I'll go lie down and just have a rest. And, um, yeah, but, you know, for me it's been an interesting process learning about what rest actually is and that we really do live in a culture that doesn't value it and doesn't do it. Um, You know, as part of learning about chronic fatigue, I learned that resting is not laying down and reading a book or watching Netflix or listening to a podcast even, you know, because they're all really high cognitive load activities. So really resting is getting a cup of tea, staring out the window and just being, you know, and and that's something huh. that was a, a real revelation to me. I love that. And this is leading beautifully into my next question, which is you've had to learn a million lessons, but you've had to learn them the hard way. And you say totally. in your book that you don't need to necessarily have to go through a big crisis like this to learn about resilience. So what would you love people to know about living their life in a, I guess, a slightly upgraded, up-leveled way, having the benefit of what you've been through? Yeah, well, the thing that really struck out to me out of this experience was that you just have to have wonderful people around you in life and don't put the time and energy into people that you you know, are really not worth it. Um, And that means how much energy you give to those people as well. So, you know, being really strict about the company that you keep, I think Mm. has been a really big learning out of it for me. And um, yeah, it's putting energy into those people that will be there on on a rainy day. Uh, And I think as well, just taking more time to really enjoy the little moments. It it can sound quite, you know, trite and quite um, token, but Really, a big life is made up of lots of small moments and so often we're whizzing by at such a speed that we don't really uh, get to enjoy those simple things in life and that's really what life is all about. And, and something also jumped out at me in your book and, and I guess this this relates to our theme of confidence is you talk about how, you know, you have to get up and speak in front of people and occasionally that old imposter syndrome creeps in and you catch yourself and you go, you know what, I have been through a lot and I've come through the other side and you people have no idea what I've been through and often, you know, we see people 
people's end result. Like people who have started following you on Instagram now would see you looking amazing with a book and think, oh my gosh, you know, and not, and maybe not realize all the little hundreds of steps that you've had to take that have been so tough to get to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it is that thing. I, I just think for anyone, you know, think of all the, incre- I think we forget how awesome we are. And, you know, if you think back on the things you've accomplished in your life and you think of the the challenges you've overcome, you know, and I just think women are just so extraordinary. We just, we don't give ourselves enough credit. <laughs> and so in, in times of doubt or uncertainty, if you can come back to the things that make you, you, and, you know, the, the great things that you've done in your life and you think, oh, you know, in the scheme of life, this is nothing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, except that in your case, I don't think you could call any of that nothing. It was an extraordinarily <laughs> big thing, but thank goodness you are where you are right now. Um, I would love to ask you a few rapid fire questions now, the first of which is what would be your number one confidence tip? Yes. Well, you know, it's interesting. I used to teach speech and drama to little children and I would see them come in shy as shy, couldn't even say their name in front of a room. And then by the end of the year, they'd be like, can I do another poem in front of, you know, everyone on stage? And it really made me just see that it's really just a, it's a practice game. You know, it really is. You're not born with it or without it. You're like, I mean, some people are more confident than others, but the more you practice it, the more confident you become. I was the shyest kid um, and the speech and drama really helped me. So yeah. Um, And, and just that, you know, the Amy Cuddy thing of shoulders back, head up, good body posture. That has helped me immensely. Like when I started my production career in Sydney, I was often in all male rooms around boardrooms with all men. And I just did that shoulders back, head up, and it helped me no end. It really was the beginning of my confidence. And I love that in in the end, the videos that have gone the most viral and had 40 million views have been ones that are really making fun of men's shortcomings. <laughs> so you flip that whole script uh, on its, it's head. True. It's true. I do love men though, just, just for yeah, the record. Yeah. It's, it's in a gentle, loving way, in but it's still funny. In a gentle, loving way, <laughs> um, Is there a book that you've read or um, you mentioned that inspirational quote before that your friend gave you, um, is there something that you could recommend for people that that has helped you on your way yeah well particularly around creativity and my creative confidence a book that I just love and I come back to time and time again is Big Magic I knew Elizabeth you were going to say that I yeah. love that book I mean it just helped me so much writing my book yeah um, you know because it's that idea that look this matters so much and it also doesn't matter at all enjoy the process you know mm. that that has helped me immensely and also that idea you know where she says when you start on a creative project, it's like you acknowledge that fear is coming for the road trip. It's getting in the car, but it's going to sit in the back and it's going to zip its mouth and it's not going to tell you where to go or pick the music or anything. And yeah, there's something quite comforting in that idea that everyone has fear, but you've just got to use it to your advantage. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And I love that book, um, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. And we'll put the link to that in the show notes. Um, What do you do for pure joy? Something that has no outcome attached to it. I mean, mainly just accost other people's puppies in the dog park. <laughs> I mean, but is there anything that is more purely joyful than just seeing a puppy in action exploring oh. the world? I mean, it's just glorious. Uh, but I do also love playing guitar 
and and singing I just find that really comforting and uh, calming and yeah just oh that's beautiful beautiful and finally because it's a huge process we're never done what are you working on right now in your own confidence journey to take you to where you next want to be in life yeah well I suppose at the moment I'm embarking on the idea of uh, putting together a talk and like a keynote that I will present and that idea whilst I love talking, it does scare me because I think, who am I to be going out and speaking to people on a stage? You know, I really, and I, but I like the idea of being not very good at something all over again, brand new and just learning um, how to connect with people in a different way. And yeah, so I'm just going to force myself to do it. Yes. And you know, who are you? You're a woman with an absolutely incredible story. So I think so many people will get a lot of inspiration from hearing you speak. People who've been through anything hard. Um, I went through a breakup earlier this year and I found a lot of comfort reading your book. So thank you so much for writing it and sharing your story and what you went through. Oh, I'm so pleased to hear that. That's, um, that's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you for reading it. <laughs> Stay connected by following Claiming Your Confidence or me, Katrina Blowers, on Instagram. For more information on this or other episodes, head to katrinablowers.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate and review on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and make sure you share it with anyone you think would benefit from a confidence pick-me-up. Claiming Your Confidence is created and produced by me, Katrina Blowers. Audio thanks to Term 6 Podcast Productions. I hope you're having a great week. Thank you for listening to Claiming Your Confidence.